Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Go ahead. Well, I just think they need a shot creator. You know, a shot creator that can create something out of nothing. Um, and I don't know that they... Who do they have? I mean, that what that's kind of what they, what they lost with Poole. Is they lost a guy who could put it on the deck, could drive inside, could beat somebody off the dribble, get in the lane, break down a defense. Yeah. It's um, Wiggins and Kaminga. Yeah, I mean, it's it, to me, Wiggins seems like he's the guy that if you if you said you know wager right now on what's going to happen before the February whatever trade deadline, I would wager that Wiggins gets dealt because he's the guy that I think you could move. Without calling Steph and being, well, they're going to consult Steph either way. But you know what I'm saying. I think he's the guy that Steph could be like, okay, you know, what are you, what, what, what are you getting back? Where if they said, Steph, we're trading Clay, he, I'm sure that's going to be a tough moment for him. Or And maybe even more so if they said, Steph, we're trading Draymond Green. The way he, he and Draymond play off of one another, that I think is a very tough conversation. But Steph, we're trading Wiggins. I think that's an easier conversation to have. And Wiggins, if you really want to add a significant piece, you're going to have to add somebody who's probably making some some money. And Wiggins makes twenty four point three million. So that that if you said one guy that you would wager would be moved by the deadline on the Warriors, I'd wager on Wiggins. The problem with Wiggins is that when he teases you with the game he had against Denver, and then you think back to a short two years ago. I know everybody's getting tired of hearing this, but he was the second best player on that team. And there were some that thought he was the MVP and not Steph Curry, and he could actually make a logistical strong argument for that. It was only two years ago, and I guess maybe that's you know, why people are still holding out hope that he can, he can be that guy. But when he gives you glimpses of what it is he, he did against Denver, and if he returns to being that guy, uh, that, that changes everything. And... I think that, you know... He double, He was a great rebounder in that year they won the title. You know how many times he's had double-digit rebounds this year? How many? What would you guess? Six. I think it's one. 
He's had double digit. He had ten against Sacramento on November twenty eighth. There, Golden One. That's, that's it. it. That's it. One, one. Yeah, that's interesting. One double digit rebounding game all season. I like that you're in on, the, on rebounding. You know why? How do you become? What does it say about a player who rebounds the basketball? Desire. Exactly. It's all want to. And also quickness and athleticism. I think that was the the thing with the Warriors that you know they struggle on to rebound the ball. That's why I love Pajemski so much, is that he's giving them you know, there's a lot of threes shot in the NBA. What happens when you shoot threes? The rebound kicks out to the middle of the floor. So then you've got quickness to the ball. And that's what Pajemski has. He's he can rebound by going to the glass, but then he can also rebound because he's got he anticipates where the ball is going to bounce to in the open floor off missed threes, and he grabs some of those rebounds. It's want to when you're talking about, and that's why Pajemski, I think, resonates with a lot of people out here. The charges and the rebounding. That's just, you know, that's a basketball player. That's like, you just look at him and say, that's that's a player, and that's someone I want playing for me. I mean, that's, that's who Pajemski is. And when you think about Wiggins, I think it goes a long way in, in sort of figuring out just where he's at this year between his ears. In Jonathan Kaminga, it's just about, you know, you use the word desire. It's you you can't go hundred percent just exclusively when you have the ball in your hands and you're out on the wing. But you have to show the same effort when there's a loose ball. Like that's that's everything in this league. All right, Lucas is asking me to switch gears here and get into Back to the San Francisco 49ers, of course. And Larry, we'll get back to you because you were out at Santa Clara this afternoon. But like always today, it was the San Francisco 49ers that addressed the media, including Brock Purdy. And the big question surrounding Brock these days is his health and namely the stinger and whether he's going to be ready to go coming up on Sunday against Washington. No, nah, it's been good. Just got a lot of treatment done on it and everything. Um, sort of just work out the soreness within, you know, the whole shoulder area, trap area. Um, but it feels good. So I'll be good for this game. After you watch the film of the Ravens, do you feel like you have, you guys have the answers to some of the defensive wrinkles that they showed in that game? Yeah. I mean, I feel like our game plan was good just in terms of what we wanted to get done. Um, it was just the execution part of it that I feel like, um, you know, I didn't do a good enough job. And, you know, I think our mindset and everything going into it was good. But um, it's, I, I felt short in terms of making it happen. And so um, when we watched the film and stuff, like, there was – our plays were there. There was plays to be made. And um, we felt good, you know, getting through the film and, and going, man, we were right there. And, we had everything, I feel like, dialed up pretty good. I just didn't execute well. So, yeah, if we you know, see him again down the road, obviously we'd be excited to play him and all that, but we're just taking it one day at a time, and, and uh, we'll see how it all goes. The only interception that was a bad decision was the first one. What should you have done differently? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean that, that drive, you know, we have two really explosive plays, you know, the third down and then the next play after that to George again. Um, so it's like the emotion, everything's built up, like we're feeling good. And, um, you know, then we call this play with what wasn't the right coverage. And so for myself, it's like, all right, do progress and check it down in the moment for myself. I was, you know, aggressive. I was like, all right, just had two big plays. I'm trying to fit this one in. And um, which obviously looking back on it was not the right decision. Wasn't the smart play as a quarterback. Um, that's something that I have to grow in, you know, in terms of you make some big plays and stuff. But 
every play has a life of its own. Now, whatever play is next, you got to play the play the right way, not just feed off the emotion and, and everything that you felt from the previous plays. So um, that's something that I had to learn the hard way. How do you find the balance of still playing aggressively, ripping it down the field, but then also making good decisions? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, the games that I've played in, you know, um, there's a fine line of obviously ripping something that's tight, tight window or tight contested, but at the same time being smart with the ball um, in the situation of wherever the game is at. Um, and so for myself, like I've played in enough games where I think I've, I understand when and where I can be aggressive and, and take a chance, take a shot, and when I should progress, check it down, throw it away, those kinds of things. Um, like I said, it's sort of just, it's a situational kind of thing. And football is a game of situations. And so that's where um, I have to grow and continue to bank on experiences that I've, that I've gone through. Um, but at the same time, in the, being a quarterback in the NFL, you got to be able to take some some chances and, and some some risks and some windows at the right time, and um, that's what I'm learning right now. Relates to your stingers, you hadn't had one prior to Arizona ever, ever. Yep. The fact that you've had one in consecutive weeks is that. I mean, even though you felt right, I mean, has, it, has it been explained to you that maybe there were still kind of lingering things that pre predisposed you to having one against the Ravens? That yeah, no one really said anything to me. Um, I didn't really know it was a thing until I got it against the Ravens again. Um, and I sort of got explained, you know, like, I guess the, the nerve or whatever can is a little bit more susceptible to sort of, you know, stinging again. Um, but, you know, with treatment and some time and recovery and stuff, you can obviously get it to go down and, and be good to go. Um, everyone's different is what I've heard. Um, so for me, I was fine the whole game. And then that one sack, um, he just just got me right. I landed on it just right for it to go off, and, and but my feeling came back and everything. So um, it's just, I guess, part of part of the game. Brock, what ways is your approach or preparation a little different this week after a week? Like you feel like you didn't execute as well as you wanted to. Yeah, um, I mean, my process, my routine, and everything is is going to be the same, um, like I've done all all year. Um, it just comes down to the moment, you know, getting behind center, going through my reads in the moment, in the heat of battle, um, being smart with the ball, doing what we're trying to do on offense, and what the coaches are asking of me. Um, and obviously, it's just it's be smart, and so. Um, but in terms of my process and everything, I'm going to be the same guy that I've been all year um, in terms of how I get ready for a game. Um, it's just going to be, you know, in the heat of battle, making the right decisions and, and uh, setting up our offense and our team to have success in the right way. Way early in your career, was this Ravens game a learning experience in the sense of like what it feels like when everything that could go wrong does go wrong and how to respond? Yeah, I mean, it's huge for me. Um, you know, the whole season, right? Built, building up to like what they're saying is a huge game on Christmas, Monday Night Football and all that. Um, and it was a big game. And so, um, you know, for me, it's a great learning experience just in terms of, you know, not, you know, buying into what's going on around and what's being said. Um, instead, you know, executing, you know, in the moment, making the right reads, being consistent, um, protecting the ball, um, all those things, man. It's such a good learning experience, and it's not to say I'm going to be perfect moving forward. Like, there's, it's football, man. You're not perfect, but um, for me, I think it was huge just in terms of, you know, being a quarterback in this league when things are going well. People can say some great things, and, and uh, it's easy to buy into it a little bit, but, man, you got to 
put your head down, go to work, have that chip on your shoulder still, and and still prove to yourself that you know you gotta continue to show your teammates that you're the guy week in and week out. So definitely something for me to learn from. Looking ahead to the Commanders, what stands out when you watch the film on them? Yeah, I think it starts with the two boys up front, 93 and 94. Um, I feel like you know they're they're very disruptive. They've been disruptive really their whole careers and stuff. So for us, we respect them a lot. And then just their coverages behind it and everything. The boys in the secondary, um, they're sound in what they do. And um, you know for us, it's you know being smart with the ball, make, being on the right side of the field when with our reads, and um, going through my progressions and, and being efficient. Um, I feel like they've done a good job of you know making making some quarterbacks you know have to be efficient and and take the shots when the opportunity presents itself but um, I think overall they're they're a solid squad and and, and sound in what they do so um, for us we can't get greedy or anything we have to you know for me I have to go through my reads and and uh, stay disciplined more than anything you said yesterday that you felt like the most valuable experience for you the other night was continuing to compete after the, the interceptions were there can you take us into those moments of what you were thinking of like how you know how you flush and how you kind of move on to, to continue to compete in those moments and maybe how it can help you going forward yeah the game and the situation you know, sort of just happened really quick you know they went up quick and um, in the second half you know third quarter you know they're up multiple scores and so then it sort of feels like all right we have to make a play and at the same time we got all these turnovers so don't turn the ball over so just mentally it was a it was a good experience to understand like you have to play one play at a time you know even if we're down multiple scores you still have a whole second half to play um, you have to still think clearly in terms of what we're trying to do with each play not just try to get back into the game with one or two plays you know with explosives um, it's being smart it's taking a five yard out route or a check down and getting a first down and managing those situations and playing quarterback still um, to get your team back in the lead you know by being an efficient quarterback so those are all things that I had to learn you know towards the end I feel like I was searching for those big plays to get back in the game rather than playing playing the position and so um, watching the film was tough but it was good for me I had to learn it and I'm glad it happened now your teammates especially Nick Bosa spoke out in support of you after the game what does that mean to you and how does that help you approach this week yeah I mean it's huge you know to hear you know guys you know have my back and all that which is great and we understand I think the big picture of what we're trying to do where we're at um, and so obviously to have a bad game like that it sucks and you don't want that to ever happen but um, I mean they're they're mature man and they they get it and for me I appreciate them for for understanding you know the quarterback position and how tough it how tough it can be but also you know the reality of where we're at you know we're still you know number one seed we've gotten here for a reason not just by chance and so um, to hear them you know say those cool things it means a lot to me but we're trying to win this week and take it one day at a time and we'll get to where we need to be by just being in the present so that was your first four interception game ever ever in your life you kind of alluded to your mindset is okay let's not throw a fifth interception or whatever but you're also searching still searching for big plays it seems like there was a push and pull there i guess what i'm trying to say yeah i mean it's just not being in the right state of mind you know as a quarterback um you know, having the aggressive trigger to, you know, make the throw, the big play. Um, but also, shoot, dude, you don't want to turn the ball over again. Um, it's just a, it's a sucky state of mind to be in. And so, um, but that's like the learning experience of going back and just taking it and saying every play has a life of its own. You have to take it one play at a time and not try to 
win the game by a couple big plays. When I'm thinking like that, I just wasn't in the right state of mind, you know, towards the end when we're trying to get back into it. So that's the learning experience. Did you make a conscious decision to wear your hat forward today? Nah, I did not. It just happened to be. Yeah, no. I had a hat head, hat head coming in here, so I put it on forward. Yeah, that too. I did a little growing up. Rock Purdy at his press conference today. And, of course, if you missed it there at the end, was asked about wearing his hat forward as opposed to backwards. Maybe you can give some sort of backstory. Oh, Colin Cowherd's a joker and basically said that, you know, made it a point to say that, you know, that Brock wasn't the wasn't a leader because he didn't have his hat forward. <laughs> or something. I mean, he, just, he sounded like about 177 years old when he made that, that, uh, that point. And so... Uh, he was wearing his hat forward today, and uh, the great Grant Cohn asked him, right, why are you wearing your hat forward? Um, but happy birthday to Brock, I guess. He was turned 24 yesterday. Oh, my goodness. So he, you know, that's what he's joking about. I've grown up since I've matured in the last day. So You know what jumped out at me in listening to him speak is how often he uses words like experience. This is a new experience. He's getting experience and, and learning. And I, I think sometimes we forget this is essentially his first go-round in the NFL. He's essentially playing these teams for the first time. And that he's still essentially a rookie. And he's, he's still learning. I think that you know, we lose sight of that because there's such lofty goals and because he's, you know, he's exceeded expectations in such a, a, a quick time frame. No doubt. I mean, um, go look at the list of 23 Hall of Fame quarterbacks, there's very few of them that were really good at 23 or 24. Steve Young wasn't really good until he was like 31. Yeah. For, uh, Kurt Warner wasn't really good until he was like 27. Uh, he wasn't even in the league until he was like 27. He was working at Kroger's when he was 24. So it's just, you know, it's just, it's, it's, um, he is a young, young player. What he said three times though, in that was I got to be smart with the ball, so that's the takeaway. I got to be smart with the ball in this game. Um, you know, he he kind of he also used the word he was in a sucky, <laughs> sucky frame of mind. Um, you know, basically he's just saying that he was he was not in the proper frame of mind. He also said, watch out for 94, 93. 94 is Deron Payne. 93 is Jonathan Allen. He said they're very disruptive. But he did say three times, um, you know, I've got to be smart with the ball. You know, and, and the the question I asked him, I said, you know, you watch the film with Kyle. Do you, you know, did you have answers for some of the wrinkles that the Ravens showed? And he seemed to kind of defer to, hey, the plays were there. He said there were plays to be made. It's about the execution. He's putting it on himself. I didn't execute those plays. So that's interesting because there were some wrinkles in this game from McDonald, the uh, Ravens defense coordinator, that were really interesting. 33 years of age. What's that? He's 33. McDonald? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a young guy in his own right. But, I mean, credit McDonald because he watched the Niner film, um, understood what Brock's tendencies were, and then schemed against it and blitzed off the edges and dropped um, lots of people into the middle of the field and tried to anticipate where would Brock throw to, what spots he was going to throw to. And then he tried to make sure that the field was packed with, with defenders in those spots. And um, it worked well. 
Hamilton had two picks. They got a little fortunate on some batted balls. Um, but, you know, it's funny because a lot of the criticism in, or a lot of the reaction the day after has been like, well, Brock's a quarterback who throws to certain spots. So what I wanted to hear from him is, um, you know, did they show you wrinkles that if you played them again, you would have a better plan of how to attack? And he basically, without saying it, said it. So, um, And he said there's a fine line between being aggressive and being smart with the ball. And, um, you know, he also, it's interesting, he's kind of the opposite of Jimmy G. You know, Jimmy G was kind of captain check down. He had stopped really attacking downfield. And on that first interception on the ball to Debo, uh, Brock said, hey, I was too aggressive. Um, I should have taken the check down. You know, so it's so funny because people have called him dink and dunk, but in reality, he's this hyper aggressive Brett Favre like, I never want to check it down. I constantly want to attack downfield. And if there's one criticism that I think is a fair criticism, is that he needs to, you know, Shanahan needs to be kind of like what Mike Holmgren was for Favre in kind of, in you know, for you know, implore him to take the check down more often. Don't put the ball in harm's way. Be more patient. Um, and take what the defense gives you and don't be hyper-aggressive just because you completed a couple passes and just think you can stick it in the window. Be patient. Take some of the checkdowns. It's amazing because Alex Smith was like, had to be the other way, right? It's like he was constantly checking it down to the point where Kaepernick was like, oh, go put Kaepernick in there. He'll take shots down the field. Um, even though Kaepernick wasn't necessarily reading coverage. Now, with Brock, he can read the coverage, but he is so aggressive, and sometimes to a fault. And I think it gets back to what we were talking about earlier today, that that attitude of just live to see another down sort of lend itself to that third interception, where, again, he's trying to make something out of nothing and throwing across his body into the middle of the field, where he has this bit of a... You know, he has a bit of a risk-taker mentality like that of Brett Favre. You know what? Fine line. That's what he's talking about, the fine line between be aggressive and take what the defense gives you. He saw the flags on the ground but was thinking, make a play, make a play, make a play. And and then also in the second half, you know, the the other thing that's kind of interesting when he, they mentioned there, Dan, is that the game went from 16-12 to 30-12 to in four yeah. Ravens offensive plays. I mean, four plays after it was sixteen to twelve from Baltimore, and it's thirty to twelve. So it got away from them in that third quarter. Yeah. No, and then things become much more predictable, and that's when you can you can do the proverbial pin your ears back if you're Baltimore, because you know certainly the Forty ers aren't running at that point. I think this gets back to you know we could talk about you know his anticipatory throws and throwing to spots, but this is just to me it's it's just really sort of. It's fundamentally sort of basic that when you pressure a quarterback and you speed him up and he's a young guy, he is, you know, he's prone to mistakes. And I think that that's the next threshold for Purdy is that does he have a counterpunch to when he gets pressured? Now, you know, you, you can, it's kryptonite to just about, kryptonite to just about any quarterback in the NFL. But I, I felt that his, his opposite number meaning Lamar Jackson, when he got pressured, and he did get pressured, especially in that first half by the 49ers, he had that ability to buy that extra second, second and a half, 
so that he could execute something down downfield. And he also made something out of nothing where he could, you know, get to a different level and again complete a pass down the field. Brock Purdy isn't there yet, I don't think. Because it was interesting to note it was two players, two quarterbacks, they were both getting pressured, yet Lamar Jackson was able to deliver, and Brock Purdy was rushed and was making the ill-advised throw. Now, to Lamar Jackson's credit, he's his first option isn't like it was when he won his MVP, is to take off and run, but he's actually buying time to complete a pass. And Brock Purdy, I think when he gets pressure, and with his offensive line, it could be as soon as coming up on Sunday, it's how does he react in that moment? And I don't know if that's something you can really prepare for. Lamar was awesome in this game. As far as I was concerned, you know, that was he won the MVP on Monday night. I mean, he he's only 26. You know, you think of Lamar as the veteran. He's only 26 years old. Um, but he's played a lot of football. He's there's no no fear. Like none. Like he's back there. He's not worried about a D lineman keyholing him. He's not worried about Dre Greenlaw hitting him. He's not worried. You know what I mean? He's not afraid of the rush. He's not worried by the rush. He plays, you know, and he just, to me, he escaped the pocket. I felt like the Niners played him to pass, and then it's when he moved in the pocket decisively and kind of explosively, they then played him to run, but he wasn't moving in the pocket to run. They He was moving in the pocket to give himself a second launch point to allow his receivers to free up, and they often did, and he made a lot of great plays. I mean, there's nothing special about what Baltimore has. Gus Edwards isn't special. Justice Hill is not special. Melvin Gordon is not special. The backup tight end is a backup tight end. He's he's nice, but he's nothing crazy. Um, the the Zay Flowers is a really nice young receiver, uh, but the rest of those guys are, you know, busts. I mean, Odell Beckham's older. Rashad Bateman was a bust of a first round pick. Nelson Aguilar pretty much the same. He's on like his fourth team. Um, so they it's not like they've got great weapons. And then Ronnie Stanley's dinged up at left tackle and you know, but somehow Lamar, you know, Lamar made it happen. Lamar kept making plays. He made plays with his legs um, to move and then he made plays with his arms. He's never rattled. He's never afraid. Uh, he's never rushed. He was great. He was absolutely great. And then their defensive plan was sound, and they got four picks or five picks. So that's I. It's an interesting situation because like the 49ers, um ran it. They had they had great numbers. They ran for seven yards a carry. They they had two hundred and thirty yards of offense. If the Niners hadn't turned it over, they probably would have had five hundred yards of offense against the number one defense in football. So you know, when Brock says the plays were there, I believe him. But he's got to take better care of the football. And I thought it was also interesting that he said, I was glad that it happened here instead of like down the road. Because this wasn't a win or go home or, you know, kind of a game. I mean, this, this, they wanted to win this game, but the season wasn't riding on it. And it's better that he made these mistakes in this game and learns from them, from them than make them in the playoffs and cost them a chance at the ring. Getting back to your point when you're talking about the supporting cast or the lack thereof for Lamar Jackson, which is why, by pure definition, that's your MVP, right? I think so. And I mean, you, you remove could... him out of the equation, what do you have in Baltimore? Right. 
I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, they they're not a good team. If 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 you they're not a good offensive team without Lamar. If all of a sudden it was the Tyler Huntley or Josh Johnson or whatever, whoever they have, Malik Cunningham or the other quarterbacks, if any of those guys had come in, route. But Lamar made plays, not afraid, superior athlete. Even on the run that was a 30-yard run down to the 10, he faked, He ran towards the sideline. The Niner defenders thought he was running out of bounds. But no, he's not running out of bounds. He cut it back in and got more yardage. So... He's just a he's a he's he's having a terrific year. Even though the touch, you know, Brock's got better numbers than Dak. Brock's got better than numbers than Lamar. But man, that that performance against the Niners, I thought, especially if he backs it up this week against Miami, I think the That's MVP is his. Game. That's a huge game. You know, it's interesting that thirty-one yard run you're talking about. That was a last option because he's letting his his wide receivers in the play develop. There just wasn't anything there. As opposed to maybe Justin Fields or Lamar Jackson just a couple of years ago, where he's taken off a lot sooner than that. And I think that's part of the maturation of the young man, where he is waiting. Running is not the first option any longer. He's staying in a pocket or he's buying time or getting to a second level, hoping that one of his receivers can get separation. You know what, Larry, though, when I watch him throw, and I'm certainly no quarterback whisperer, but you know, I, I've seen enough football sitting on my fat ass like everybody else on a couch. He is. You know, at the end of the day, he's so effective, and he might be the MVP, right? Because he does so many things so well. But just from a a conventional or a fundamental standpoint as a quarterback, he's ugly, man. He throws off the wrong foot. He misses some guys. He slingshots it. He'll drop down to that three-quarter. And maybe that's sort of in vogue now with Patrick Mahomes. But I always think of the Tom Brady's or, you know, name your quarterback where you're getting that seven-step drop and you look like an astronaut and you're throwing over the top of your ear. He has none of that. You know, he just his skill set is very atypical. But his end results is, you know, it's MVP-esque. He, he's so athletic that in a league full of athletes – he can make them look unathletic. Um, you know, his stop and start, his ability to juke you, twist out of things. He's not afraid. He's never sped up. He's got really great, you know, both these guys, Purdy and him, they both they both have great feet to let him move, but Lamar's got 4-3 speed and quiet feet, so they're not intimidated by the rush. They're not pitter-patter. Um, on that 30-yard run that you described in the second quarter, they were, it was third and 16 from the 41. And he drops back to pass. And Chase Young comes off the right defensive end spot and had him down. But he went too high. And Lamar twisted out of it. And next play was first and 10 from the 10. Um, and eventually they, they got the field goal. And so it was only 16-12 at half. But that was... That was the 49ers. If that play goes different, they don't get the first. The Niners may score again before the end of the, the first half. Instead, the Ravens burned out the rest of the clock and got the field goal going into the dressing room when we're up 16-12. You know, it, it was a huge play. It was a huge play, and, and Chase Young had him wrapped up and just let him get out. Nothing with the 49ers following that loss I don't think should be a high level of concern for a lot of Niner fans. I think Brock Purdy will bounce back. The offensive line, we'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh, As far as being out physical, I don't think that that's a trend for the 49ers or anything, again, that should keep Niner fans up at night. But however, one area 
that I don't think that there's been an answer to is run defense. And even with Eric Armstead plugging the middle, they're still towards the bottom of the NFL statistically as far as stopping the run. And I think that, that you know, that's an area I think that maybe it starts with Kinlaw, Givens is okay, but there is a if, if there is a Achilles heel, it might be right up the gut of that defensive line. Well, I mean, there's no question that, you know, and they added um, Joseph Sebastian Joseph Day, uh, the former Ram and Charger, earlier this week, and he's, we'll see, he'll, he'll probably wind up playing in this game. Um, they, you know, that's, they've been really, at time, you know, it's funny, I don't think they've got huge problems against the run, but, man, they ask a lot of Warner and a lot of Greenlaw to make a lot of plays against the run. And those guys stand up and do make a lot of plays. But as Greenlaw's you know piled up injuries and they're both getting a little fatigued, they're falling off more tackles. And but I mean, you know, you've got Hargrave who's a pass rusher, Kinlaw who's you know more of a run stop run stopper, Givens is a one gap penetrator pass rusher. They really missed Armstead in this game, and they anytime Armstead's out, I mean, when you walk around the room and you talk to these other D linemen, they talk about Eric Armstead like he's. Yeah. He's, like a, he's a superstar, you know. So they miss they miss Armstead and uh, that plantar fascia that he's got. He's gonna, you know, they're they're trying to get him right, but it sounds like it's been problematic. And hopefully they can, you know, get it right by the playoffs because they need him. He's absolutely probably their he's their defensive leader. He's kind of he's kind of the leader on the team. Well, the 49ers with an opportunity now to control their own destiny and still maintain that number one seed and have the road going to Las Vegas in this year's Super Bowl come through Santa Clara. However, they got to win their next two. Washington, I think by all accounts, would be a, a significant upset if Washington can beat the 49ers. I think the 49ers can take care of business. The big question, I think, that, and this seems to be the sexy of the trending pick right now, and that is all of a sudden the Los Angeles Rams have become relevant. And that, to me, that just speaks volumes of their head coach, Sean McVay. Their defense is mediocre from what it is that I see, but you know I, I know that you know Cooper Cup is now healthy and Puka Nakua is is legit for the young man out of BYU. But but Sean McVay is he continues to prove to everybody what was supposed to be this transitional or the rebuild, and here they are knocking on the door for a potential playoff uh, position. And we always talk about. You want to hit your stride in December, right, in January. They could be a perfect example of that team like that of the New York Giants and Eli Manning back in the day when they went to Super Bowls as a wild card, that the L.A. Rams are showing that this is when you want to be playing your best ball. And could well, what sort of a threat do you think they pose? The game, again, will be in the Bay Area at Santa Clara, but is that one that should have an asterisk next to And obviously the Niners aren't going to look past them, but this isn't the same Ram team they saw earlier in the year. No. No, in fact, they, there was no Cooper Cup in that game. Um, you know, it's funny because Willard and I Friday had um, Jason LaConfora on, the Odyssey NFL insider, and he made the prediction. He said the Rams, if the Rams get the get the Cowboys in the first in the playoffs, the Rams are going to beat the Cowboys, which is a pretty big prediction, really. There is a scenario too where the 49ers, if they lose. Why could wind up playing the Rams in Week 18, and then the Rams the next week in the playoffs. 
So it could be, you know, you may get a lot more of the Rams than you want. What the Rams are legit at is they're, every guy who touches the football on offense is real. I mean, Stafford is, you know, you know Stafford. I mean, Stafford's older, but Stafford's got a gun, a quick release. Uh, he's got a Super Bowl ring. He's damn good. And then Kyron Williams, they're running back from Notre Dame's a small back, but, man, he is not easy to tackle. He runs hard. He's really smart. He can catch the ball. He's quick and fast. Now Higby's healthy, their tight end. And then their receivers are really good. I mean, Puka Nakua has got great hands and runs terrific routes and is like a fifth-year player, even though he's a rookie fifth-round pick. And then Cooper Cup's now almost like identical, right? He's a former incredible receiver. So now you got two awesome route runners. And then they've got Demarcus Robinson, um, you know, who's a veteran NFL receiver who's big. And they've got they've got Tutu Atwell, who's just an absolute ridiculous. 4-2 burner. I mean, he might be as fast as any receiver in the league. So Atwell stretches you vertically, and then the other guys can catch it in a crowd, and they're great route runners. And Robinson's physical. Um, you know, so, I mean, they've, they've got weapons. I mean, Higby's got sticky hands. He's a good receiver, and they can run it pretty good. Um, you know, I mean, it's not a great O-line, but it's good enough. The D, I don't think much of, but you still have Aaron Donald. And, you know, they've gotten some good play out of their secondary, John Johnson, at, at one of the safety spots. So, you know, it's not going to be easy. The Niners are going to have a hard, defensively especially, they're going to have a really hard job containing that Rams offense. The Rams can score with the Niners. The Rams can put up 30. And that's what makes them so... Then it really comes down to turnovers. So I think the 49ers should beat the Commanders good and I think they should beat the Rams but uh, in week 18 but they're going to have to score points because the Rams are going to score points yeah and again getting back to the common opponent that being the the big bad Baltimore Ravens that manhandled the San Francisco 49ers had to go to OT and it took a punt return for them to beat the Los Angeles Rams as a game that you had mentioned was played in Baltimore just to take it a step further if we're to look at and handicap the NFC any of those teams, whether it's Dallas, Detroit, or Philadelphia, maybe we'll throw the Rams into that mix. Who do you think gives the 49ers the biggest threat? Well, I think they own Dallas. You know, and why? Because Dallas can't stop the 49er running attack, and the Niners can stop Pollard. So that put that makes Dak very one-dimensional. Dak's very impatient. He threw three picks in the head-to-head matchup. I just think the Niners seem like they have the Cowboys' number. Um, so the Cowboys don't worry me. Detroit, on the other hand, is kind of like the Cowboys, and they have a great offensive line. Um, you know, Penny Sewell, Taylor Decker, Frank Ragnow, that's three-fifths of their offensive line. They've got really, really good young offensive line and some nice weapons. So Detroit's a little scary, but I would say Philly. To me, it's it's the Niners and Philly, Philly and the Niners. Those have been the two best teams um, in the NFC all year. And um, I, I still, I'd rather play Detroit. If I could pick it, I would say Give me Dallas first, give me Detroit second, give me Philly third. How about you? You know what's interesting is as you talked about Detroit's offensive line, which is one of the best in the NFL. So is obviously Philadelphia. And it's interesting because I got into this conversation with Peter King. I'm like, why is it so difficult that you just don't see them? They're so few and far between. They're the unicorns now at the college level, especially when it comes to an NFL draft. Offensive linemen. Like, what happened to the offensive linemen? 
in college football. You don't find them anymore. And he said it was, I, I found it really astounding. He's like, it's because these guys are now putting on more weight and they're becoming edge rushers at a younger age. Like early in their collegiate career or in high school, they're recognizing that the glamour and the money is to come off the edge as opposed to plugging a gap as a center or as a guard. And he's like, anybody who's worth a damn or has any level of talent is switching to defense. So it's really, really difficult to find the next Penny Sewell. Remember him coming out and he was you know, out of Oregon, highly coveted. But when's the last time that you really saw an offensive lineman or a class that had depth at that position? I think it. I think it even goes more into the the way the NFL is now, where there's a lot of player movement and there's a lot less practice time. So they don't, you know, offensive line. You, it's totally about how cohesive uh, your line is and how well they play off of one another. I don't think they get a lot of practice time playing off of one another, and then. You know, if somebody's good or a couple different guys are good, all of a sudden somebody's getting a big check and free agency to jump. You know, it's really rare, too, to see an offensive lineman, you know, get paid in free agency and then be as good for their new team. Like, there's already people in Denver who are like, Mike McGlinchey is not the answer. Well, you know, it's like we could have told you that uh, last year that McGlinchey wasn't going to be the answer. But there's so few uh, name-quality offensive linemen that get out there in free agency that, you know, they get bid up. So I mean, what they paid him, like $30 million guaranteed or some ridiculous amount of money for McGlinchey, who really struggled as a 49er. So, you know, I, I think that's that's also the, the continuity's not there. These guys don't play together for that long. With Trent Williams, of course, being the exception. The guy who got paid and was even better here with the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. All right, the Warriors tip off, tip off at 7 p.m. versus the Heat, which means Warriors Live with Mark Grandy. Hello, Mark Grandy. Starts at the top of the hour, brought to you by Xfinity, the Xfinity 10G network made for streaming live sports. That's coming up right after us. Don't forget to join Mark Grandy, who was about five feet from me, he handed me that thing like 15 times. All right, Mark Grandy, you'll have it in about 15 minutes. We'll be back with more to wrap up the show after this. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now, back to Willard and Dibbs on 95.7 The Game. Larry Kruger and Dan Avone for the final 10 minutes here, wrapping up the show. And then we hand things over to Mark Granny, and he will get you going with the pregame show. And then it's Tim Roy and the Golden State Warriors looking to bounce back after the loss to the Denver Nuggets as they do battle with the Miami Heat. The Heat, once again, will be without Jimmy Butler and some key players. So a, a golden opportunity for the Warriors to get over 500. And uh, again, well, it's going to be a tough run here because they've got some difficult opponents with some winning records. Orlando, it's interesting now. Orlando's good. We talked about the Western Conference, Larry. Oh, there's this changing of the guard now, and it's Minnesota, it's OKC, it's Houston, and it's it's interesting, and that's what happens when you hone all these draft picks and you're not good for so long that those young players are able to to develop into you know mature younger players now with some some high levels of experience, which again getting back to the Golden State Warriors is not something that was ever going to happen because. You could be Jonathan Kaminga and you could be Moses Moody, but if you're on an NBA championship team as they were two years ago, your role is going to be that much more limited. So there's just a lot of good young talent around the league. You know, T Wolves have a lot of talent. OKC has a lot of talent. They still have a ton of picks too. OKC is going to be interesting to watch to see what they do. They're going to pull the trigger on the trade. Yeah, I mean, because they, they have so much, so many assets. Um, you know, they could, they could. Add any and basically any kind of player they want to add, but I mean both those teams have been fantastic. Um, you know, Sacramento's still got some young talent for sure. I mean, it's I'm I'm eager to see at the trade deadline who who makes the big moves. Uh, the Lakers are you know obviously out there. I think they're going to try to make a, a big move. You know, there's been a lot of talk about the Warriors making a move, but I don't know. I mean, does you know that you look at those names out there? Does Pascal Siakam make the Warriors a title contender? I don't know. Does OG and Nobi make the Warriors a title contender? I don't know. Um, I read today the Lakers want DeJounte Murray. Does he make Golden State a title contender? I would say no. So I mean it's I don't I don't know. It's gonna be very interesting to see um, what Dunleavy's game plan is here. Does he does he try to Move like a a, a Clay or a, a Draymond or a Wiggins or somebody, you know, for players that could potentially be part of the thing long term. You mentioned Markinen, or do they try to load up on a big deal and see if they can add a Durant and get you know add somebody who's going to maybe help them win a title right now or can at least contend for a title right now. I mean the Warriors are right there. They're they're right now they're the eleven seed. They're fifteen and fifteen. They're five hundred. They're 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 tied with basically Phoenix, right? They're both sitting there seven and a half games behind the T Wolves, tied for that tenth seed. So Dunleavy's gonna this is a big, you know, he's a year one GM. He had a great draft. Trace Jackson Davis at 57. What? That's a great pick. Pajemski uh, has worked out really nicely. And both those guys are ready to help right now. So that's kind of good. Um, but it looks like it, this is going to be, the season's going to be largely defined by what Dunleavy either does or doesn't do at the trade deadline. 
I don't know if you agree with that, but that's how I that's kind of how I see the Warriors right now is that they're there and they could make a run and probably will, but they probably need a deal to either kind of clarify their rotation or add in secondary a second prime, you know, primo scorer so that they can actually be a legitimate Western, you know, Western Conference Finals contender. Do you think Jonathan Kaminga, if indeed he is dealt, uh, highly doubtful, we have no idea at this point, but do you think what's taken place recently, and I'm alluding to the conversation he had with Marcus Thompson from The Athletic, where, and I'm praise, paraphrasing again, but alluding to the fact that he was, he was not happy with his role and having to spend so much time on the bench and a guy that feels as though he can do a lot more. And as he said, there's nobody in the NBA that can stay in front of me, nobody in the NBA that can guard me. But we've heard Steve Kerr, and we saw Jordan Poole get moved out of town, and Steve Kerr is very conscious of the culture that is the Golden State Warriors. And he's, you know, indirectly sort of, you know, fired some shots right back at Jonathan Kaminga and saying, you know, this is not a team for, you know, powders. Do you think what it is that he said recently could that influence Dunleavy moving Jonathan Kaminga out of town? Yeah, it scares me. It really does. It scares me because I think they've. I don't think that the Warriors have developed Kuminga as well as they could have or should have to this point. And um, I see all the talent that everybody else sees, and I see that defensive menace, and I see the you know the when he explodes to the hole, and you know he's just a very difficult guy to stop. And yet, he hasn't gotten consistent minutes, and it seems like he falls in and out of Steve's rotation. And um, there's just a lot of a lot of stop, you know, starts and stops to his Warrior run here. And I think he's an enormous talent, and I would hate to see them move him. Um, and if they move him for some nominal improvement, I think they're going to get burned on the back end. So I, I just I wouldn't want to be Dunleavy right now. Because you know you may either have to make moves and just tell Kerr this is the this is the way it's going to be, or you may have to make some moves that Steve doesn't necessarily really in, fully endorse. I mean, it's going to be it's it's going to be interesting. I get the feeling that they're going to trade Jonathan Kuminga, and that scares me. I'd rather play Jonathan Kuminga than trade him. You know, you say you wouldn't want to be Mike Dunleavy right now, but part of me thinks that. If you're going to be good at this and you're done, Levy, you've got to relish this. You have to sort of embrace this. It's easy to just drive that ship when you're winning championships and you just got to re-up guys and, and maybe move some peripheral pieces. But when you've, you've hit the crossroads and like, how do we keep this thing going? Guys are getting older. How do we match the proverbial windows? What do we do with the youngsters? Do I make a big trade? I'm thinking if you're really a GM in any sport... That's going to be impactful. you got to be a visionary, and you have to sort of not only welcome but relish these sort of situations. Yeah, I hear you. Um, but, like, you know, what's a, what's a typical playoff rotation? Eight guys, nine guys? Eight. He's got 11 guys. That <laughs> Twelve, think that, actually. Yeah, you know, he's got a bunch of Curry, Pods, T- Clay, Green, Looney, Paul, Wiggins, Kuminga, Trace Jackson Davis, Moody, Sharich. I mean, that's a lot of guys. And you're leaving out GP2, who'll be back. GP2, yeah, who's defensive monster. He's got to play. 
So they're just they, you can't have a twelve man rotation. So they probably need to make some really really tough decisions here, thin the herd a little bit, and find out exactly what they want to do. I mean, it's just these are really really difficult decisions to make. I mean, you haven't played Kuminga and Moody enough to really get their full value. So that that makes me hesitant to want to move them. And um and I, I just think that, that that's you know, that's a problem. And you know that when a guy like Kuminga does interviews with uh, Marcus Thompson or anybody for that matter and word gets around about discontent, now everybody who calls you is trying to rip rip you off and steal Kuminga. And um I think that would be a huge mistake. I I, I mean I don't know who you think Kuminga reminds you of, but to me, he reminds me a lot of Kawhi Leonard. He's, you know, huge, huge hands, very athletic, um, two-way player, can be an impact guy on both ends. He's not Kawhi yet, but I, I could see him emerging as that kind of a player. That would be an awfully tough player to trade. Yeah, I'm trying to think of his comps. I think Kawhi shot, shoots it a lot better. It might be a little bit more fluid. There's a, a punishing aspect to Jonathan Kaminga. The minute he saw Jamal Murray, and they were trying to get that mismatch in that Denver game, and the minute he saw that he had Jamal Murray on him, he immediately went to work. He would back him down, and it was vicious. It wasn't a crossover Euro step. It was, I'm going right at the rim and dunking right over the top of you. He has that sort of... He's got a dog in him. Kawhi's a little bit more finesse. I think Jonathan Kaminga can also be finesse, but he's got some power that I don't think Kawhi does. But then again, Kawhi shoots it, I think, a lot better. And we'll see. Kaminga's in the in the last 10 games has shot 42% from three. Yeah, no, that's he went from like 12% the first month of the season where he was atrocious. And that all just comes from confidence and playing time. So I think the thing about when you, you're comparing him to anybody in the NBA is that when you're talking about a player who has this much upside and he's only 20, 21 years of age, it's hard to do because you have no idea. This isn't the finished product. He's going to add so many things to his bag that I really don't know where he's going to be at in a couple of years. Right, which is why you cannot trade him unless you're getting you know, just an absolute star who also has you know, years left. Uh, you know, don't do do not trade that guy for some guy who's a free agent at the end of the year and then wind up with nothing. That's that would be a bad situation. Larry, we're back at it tomorrow night. Let's do it. All right. What's coming up on the game is brought to you by Fremont Bank. Full service banking, no compromises. Warriors live with Mark Grandy ahead of Warriors versus the Heat. Until tomorrow for my man Larry Kruger, Mark Grandy, John Lucas. Good night, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? Bye. 
and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 